0: Grab a seat and welcome back. <laughs> How are we doing tonight, good? Jack, are we good? Welcome back. Hope you had a great weekend, great week. Guys, if we haven't met, my name is Zach. I, uh, I get to lead salt here, it's a good time. Yeah, conference was fun. Uh, had a lot of great moments. If you went to conference, I'd love to hear about your favorite moment. Count of three, yell out your favorite moment. One, two, three. <laughs> Worship definitely was great. I, the breakout sessions were nice? Yeah. Oh somebody said this. Guys, by far highlight, not just of the weekend, highlight of my life, the saxophone. Anybody? <laughs> Did somebody say that? Oh, does anybody in here play the sax? Anybody? Okay. We're gonna We're gonna get some saxophone up here. Guys, guys, it was a great time. Uh, a lot of people have been asking, Zach, are we gonna ever sing the songs from conference? Guys, yes, eventually, but Give us time, okay? The worship team is good. They're not wizards, okay? They can't learn new songs in four days, and so I'm excited for it. Uh, You know, a group chat with 200 people got pretty wild. Um, The memes were crazy. Guys, I got to tell you this story. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Um, We're driving to Iowa for this conference, and the staff team, we make it to Iowa, and all of a sudden, the group chat starts blowing up, and uh, and, wait, what's so funny about that? Um, Well, anyways... Um, oh, not the picture from Keynes. No, no, guys, listen. Somebody sends, this, somebody sends this message. They said, guys, just a heads up. Be careful in Iowa. They've got helicopters monitoring your speed. And, uh, and they'll pull you over. And I'm like, there's no shot they have helicopters coming to pull you over on the side of the road. Well, uh, we almost made fun of the person who sent that in the chat. Preston was going to, but we held back. But then, guys, no joke, today... I, I, I hear from Grace Spike <laughs> that she legit gets pulled over and a woman comes up with a smoky bear hat on and says, ma'am, our helicopters caught you speeding five miles ago and I'm pulling you over, 85 and a 65, here's your $100 ticket. And uh, to be honest, I'm not sure I still believe that, but there are helicopters in Iowa that might catch you speeding. So, hey, speaking of Grace Spike. Um, one, of, one of my highlights, guys, I'm being serious. Apparently, there are helicopters in Iowa monitoring you. So taxpayer dollars, man, what are they doing in Iowa? Oh, guys. Hey, shout out, Grace. One of my favorite moments from the conference. If you guys can't tell, we're a church planting network. We love, st- we love to plant churches at major university centers. And we are about to send our first Michigan State Spartan on a church plant. And it is Grace Doverspike going, going to Greeley, Colorado with our friend Drake. Uh, so that was a highlight for me. Um, yeah, the worship was great. One of my favorite moments, guys, if you can just picture this room, 4,000 students, Jordan Adams on Saturday night, he gets up and he just asks a question, hey, if you've, if you've given your life to Jesus in the past four years or your time in salt company, raise your hand. And guys, I'm telling you, I think over half the people in that room in that moment raised their hand. And just to see that God is moving. I mean, we're, this Sunday, we're baptizing seven college students. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild, yeah. Yeah, you got to come. And if you haven't gotten baptized, we'd love to invite you into that process. You know, conference is, for many of us, a mountaintop moment with God. And I do pray that this weekend was a significant moment, especially for you who went to conference to see His grace and His power working in your life, but not just your life and the lives of those around you. I'm praying that it doesn't just lead to excitement for Jesus, but perseverance in Jesus, right? That it's not, it doesn't just lead to momentary change, but lasting change. That it would be a significant moment in your life, a mountaintop moment. God loves to use mountaintop moments in our life to show us who He is, to help us see who He is. Mountaintop moments. I've had a few of them. And that's actually what we're going to see in the book of Exodus tonight. If you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 19, we're going to see a mountaintop moment of Israel with God. We're jumping back into our series of Exodus 19. And, and to be honest with you, our team been praying pretty much, the past two weeks on, do we, do we jump back into the book of Exodus in light of what's happened the past two weeks, or do we continue to pause our series and talk about grieving and pain and walking with you guys on what's happened the past two weeks on campus? But as we are praying, we felt like the best thing that we can do tonight is to actually jump back into Exodus 19 and see God for who He is, because sometimes the best thing for a, for a hurting heart is to see a holy God to bring your cries and cry out to the Father. And so I'm happy you're here. If this is your first time, welcome to Salt Company. You're totally welcome here. We're in Exodus chapter 19, and we're gonna be seeing a mountaintop moment with God. This is Israel's literal and figurative mountaintop moment with God. They're about to have an encounter with God that is so unique, so powerful, and so significant in the history of Israel, that it's gonna change the way they view God forever. The moment we're gonna look at in Exodus 19, Tonight, we're talking about mountaintop moments. Hey, maybe you've had one like this weekend. Or maybe for you, you didn't go to conference, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Like a moment with God in your life. Maybe it was fall retreat. Maybe it was camp in high school. Maybe it was alone with a Bible in your room. I'm talking about a moment with God that was so powerful, so significant, that you walked away going, oh my goodness, God is so good and he is so big. Maybe you've had a moment. I've had moments like that in my life. Maybe you've had moments like that. Maybe you haven't. Either way, here's here's the argument I want to make to you tonight. That behind every mountaintop moment, there are two things. Two things about God that you leave that moment with a deeper appreciation of. Like there are two things about God this past weekend, I promise you. If you had a mountaintop moment with God, like a significant highlight moment with God, there are two things about God that were on full display. And it's this, the grace of God and the holiness of God a deeper realization of his grace and a deeper reverence for his holiness. Like you left conference and you left God going, he is really good and he is really big. That's how I leave Iowa. That's how I left the conference. It's a big God and it's a good God. You leave in awe and worship, both God, you're so good, but God, you're big. It's the goodness of God and the bigness of God. And that's exactly what we see here in Exodus 19. Let me show it to you. Before we jump in, here is the crash summary of what's happened in Exodus so far. Israel is God's people. They were enslaved in Egypt, but God said, I'm gonna bust you out of there. And so God goes, deadly plagues, he leads them out, parts the Red Sea, walks on dry ground. They go through wilderness, have a couple battles, man on the ground, and now they're at the foot of a mountain where God's gonna show up. And that's where we're at in the book of Exodus and where he's, and God's about to introduce himself in one of the most powerful ways in all the Bible. Exodus 19, verse 1, if you got it, say got it. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that, it's been three months, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out f- from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. So Israel... They're camped out at the bottom of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And if you remember back in Exodus chapter three, when God showed up in a burning bush, he told Moses, hey, I'm gonna be with you. And, and the, the proof of the promise is one day you're gonna be back at this mountain with the whole people of Israel. So God here has brought them back to the mountain that he said, I'm gonna bring you back here. And so Israel, they're at the bottom of this mountain. They're gonna be here for like 11 months. Okay, a lot of things about to happen at this mountain. They're gonna get the 10 commandments, okay, a bunch more laws. They're going to learn what does it look like to be in a covenant with God. So they're at the bottom of this mountain, and then look at how verse three begins. It's wild. It says, "And Moses went up to God." Okay, that's insane right there. Okay, Moses, a human, is about to go up to a mountain to meet with God. Keep reading. Listen to what it says. The Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, "Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel." You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." So Moses, he goes, he goes up to meet with God on this mountain and God gives him a message to give to the people. And it's an incredible message. And right here, we see the grace of God on display. Like you gotta understand, like here's what you gotta see about this message from God. It's powerful. Before God told them what to do for him, he first reminded them of what he's already done for them. Like, check it, you gotta understand. Before he said, go do anything, he said, no, no, no. remember what I've done. And the order of that, look at what it says. Again, verse four, it says, no, no, no. I brought you on eagle's wings. Like I brought you to myself. Or in other words, I did that. Like that was all me. Like you didn't have a lot to do with that. Like I bore you like a mama eagle carrying her young. That's what I did. You didn't help. If anything, you made it harder for me to do this. Like I did this. I bore you on eagle's wings. And then verse five, now go obey me. Obey me the order of that. You have to understand it. This is the order. It's not obedience and then grace. It's grace and then obedience. And that's a big difference. It's not, hey, I'll save you, but first go obey me. No, no, no. It's I saved you. Now go obey me. That's the grace of God. That's the order and you can't get it twisted, that's the grace of God on display here. And that's the first thing God says to his people on the mountain. He doesn't say, hey, go follow my rules. He says, no, 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 I saved you. It's my grace. I got you out of there. That's the message of Christianity. It's the core of the message of the Bible in Exodus 19, but also the core of the Bible together. Listen, we don't come here tonight and worship God and live our lives trying to get grace. No, 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 we're here tonight because we already got grace. We got grace in Jesus Christ. It's his grace that saved us. And it's his grace that transforms us. We didn't initiate it, God did. But so many people get the message of Christianity twisted. They think you got to obey God to get grace. Or in other words, you have to do the things. You got to be a good person. You got to come to Salt Company. You got to read your Bible. Don't cuss, don't drink, don't touch girls. Don't do the things. Do good stuff, don't do bad stuff. And then maybe just then you'll get grace. Maybe I'll save you. Listen to me, that's not the message of Christianity. You don't become a Christian because of anything you do. You become a Christian all because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's the core of message here. He came, he bled, he died, and he rose. And just like God brought Israel out of slavery like an eagle, God has brought us out of slavery to sin like an eagle, man. He's done all of it. It's all grace. Big grace people here. We did nothing. He carried us. Like, it reminds me of this interview I saw after the Super Bowl. Uh, Kansas City Chief fans, anybody in the house? Okay, got the dub, I was rooting for him. I'm a Cowboy fan, but anyways, Kansas City, go Mahomes. Anyways, you guys know, after the interview, I mean, after the Super Bowl, they go and they interview all these people, the players. Like, oh, what are you gonna do next? I'm going to Disney World, all these things. Well, um, they go up to one guy in particular, and his name is Melvin Gordon. And here's what you gotta understand about Melvin Gordon. This guy didn't do nothing for that team. Okay, literally, he did not play a single snap all year, gets traded to the team, barely on the practice squad. He didn't do anything. So they go up to him like, Melvin, how you feeling, bro? Like you just won the Super Bowl, you're gonna get a ring. And listen, what he says next, first of all, most of it's not suitable for church, but I'm gonna tell you basically what he says is this. They say, Melvin, how you feeling? He's like, bro, I didn't do nothing. And then he says this, I got carried, baby. And he's so excited, he's proud of it. He says, I got carried, contributes nothing, still gets the reward. That's the message of Christianity. I got carried, contributes nothing, still rewarded. We got carried, baby. Jesus did it all, all to him we owe. Our sin, crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He did all of it and I'm proud of it, man. Melvin Gordon, he's proud of it. Listen, I'm proud of it. Wait, so Zach, you're going to heaven? Yep, because anything you did? No. No, it's all because of Jesus. All because of him. He carried us. All grace. If you're new to Salt Company, this is why we're here. We're big grace people here. Big Jesus people here. Apart from him, we know we're screwed. But in Christ, we're saved. All Jesus, not us. But he doesn't just carry us. He transforms us. Look at Exodus 19. He says, hey, because of what I've done, this is who you are. Look at chapter 19. He says, you shall be my treasured, possession among all people. Like that's how God views his people. We are his treasured possession. We're not just his people, we're his treasure. You understand, the God of the universe looks at all of it. Okay, Jupiter, Mount Everest, Platypus, he looks at all of it. And all of it is beautiful and all of it is good, but he looks at his people and he says, that's mine. That's my favorite. That's the pinnacle. That's my treasure. He's like the king that has so much gold in the cellar But there's one piece of gold that he keeps by his bedside table and he treasures it all day long. And that's us. That's the people of God. He looks at us and he's like a diamond lifted up from the dirt. That's how he treasures us. He looks at us like Gollum looks at the one ring. It's my precious. Those are my people. The Bible says that he delights over you. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, he sings over you. Imagine that. The God of the universe sings over his people my treasure those are my people this is who we are in Christ he has transformed us we are his treasure Peter he picks up this language in the New Testament first Peter 2 this is what it says but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light Israel's story is our story he saved them By his grace, he saves us by his grace. He transforms them, he transforms us. That's the first thing we see in this passage. The first thing at the core of any mountaintop moment. If you want to know God and have an encounter with him, you got to understand he's full of grace. It's about his grace. Grace first and grace alone. Grace before obedience and grace apart from works. That's the gospel message. Every mountaintop moment leaves us thankful for his grace, but also at the core of every mountaintop moment is a realization of his holiness, that he is holy. Keep reading, things are about to get wild. Okay, so God delivers this message to Moses. Keep reading, verse seven, this is what it says. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And so Moses, he tells uh, Israel everything God said. And it's so funny, the people are like, all that the Lord said, we will do. Okay, which is super sincere, but so ignorant. I mean, these guys are the most pitiful, faithful people in the world. Like a few chapters later, they're gonna worship a golden calf. Okay, they're not gonna do all, it's sincere, but they have no idea what's going on here. And so God, and he hears that and he says, hey, tell the people I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm about to come in this thick cloud. Get the people ready. Keep reading. Moses is gonna tell them to get ready. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, "'Go to the people and consecrate them "'or or purify them today and tomorrow. "'Let them wash their garments "'and be ready for the third day. "'For on the third day, "'the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai "'in the sight of all the people.'" Crazy. "'And you shall set limits for the people all around, "'saying, take care not to go up into the mountain "'or touch the edge of it. "'Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. "'No hand shall touch it, "'but he shall be stoned or shot.'" Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, they washed the garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do, no, do not go near a woman. And So God tells Moses, hey, I'm about to show up, but the people aren't ready to meet me yet. And then he begins to tell them to do some stuff, which is strange. Okay, so you guys need to go wash your clothes and then set up like an imaginary perimeter around the mountain. And if you cross it, dude, you're going to die. Like, that's, that's what he says. You're going to get shot, not by a gun, by an arrow, stoned, or the hand of God is going to kill you. And don't have sex for two days. Like, I read that on the surface. It's like, that's pretty strange. Like, what, what in the world are all these little rules that God is doing here? Like, it seems like God's on the high horse, like the mountain. Like, hey, don't come near me or I'll kill you. Like, that's strange. But we, what you have to understand here, underneath it, Like on a deeper spiritual level, there's something going on that's extremely important. You see, all that stuff we just read and all the stuff we're about to read about the way that God shows up, all of it is pointing to the second thing that you'll find at any mountaintop moment. And it's the holiness of God, that God is holy. Or in other words, he is perfect. He is pure. He is completely perfect. He is so good, so perfect, so different from us that anything that is not perfect, not pure, if it comes in the presence of something so holy as God, it gets destroyed. God is so other, so different. He is categorically different than everything else. You know, the Bible speaks about God's holiness. We just sing a song about it, holy, holy. The Bible talks about the holiness of God all over the place. You know, Isaiah chapter six is a famous one, right? Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, he gets a vision of God on his throne. Okay, and it's this beautiful picture. Okay, massive God sitting on the throne. The angels are all circling. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah, okay, in that moment, being him, he's like, oh, shoot, I should not be here. He says, woe is me. I am undone. I am ruined. For I stand in the presence of the holy God. Okay, says emphasis on the holiness of God. Or I love First Chronicles 13. It's this wild story of this guy named Yusa. Long story short, um, the Ark of the Covenant uh, is this chest thing that had the manifest presence of God. It symbolized God's presence. Picture this chest with some rods on it. It's being transported from point A to point B with some ox. Anyways, one of the ox slips, and so the Ark of the Covenant, okay, the presence of God, is about to fall and hit the dirt. And so my guy Uzzah, who's standing here, uh, and I don't blame the guy. He's like, oh. I'm going to put my hand out and stop the, the thing of god from hitting the dirt surely that would be a good thing and so he does that man he sticks his hands out god kills him on the spot and i'm sitting there thinking what in the world my guy was just trying to help from the chest thing hitting the dirt and what's going on here you have to understand is really profound first of all uses a priest so he knows better than to touch that thing but second of all it reminds rc spurl said it he says it better than i'll ever say i'll never forget He said the fault of Yuza in grabbing the ark was to think that his hand would somehow be holier than the ground on which the ark would hit. Or in other words, he thought his hand was cleaner than the dirt. But the thing you have to understand about the world is that the earth obeys God. Mankind's the only thing that rebels against God. It would have been better for the presence of God to hit dirt than to hit a hand of a sinner. What we learn about from the Bible is that God is holy, 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 and we are not. And that's what we're seeing here at the mountain of God, he's holy. And so go set a boundary. Okay, go wash your clothes. Okay, which that's not easy for them to do. Like there's not a same song, high efficiency, like front load washer for them to put their clothes in. Like they're gonna have to go find water. Two million people. It's gonna take them two days to do this. So they wash their clothes and Moses says, hey, go get clean and stay clean because God is coming. And then on day three, God shows up. Look at what it says in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders. Try to picture this man. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of that mountain. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up. Okay, wild scene. Okay, try to use some like holy imagination. Picture this, okay? Lightning, fire, smoke on top of this mountain. It's like the Lord of the Rings, man, like this crazy mountain. And all of a sudden you're hearing thunder and a trumpet sound, okay? Listen, God didn't need lights and a smoke machine. He makes his own here, okay? It's just crazy scene. And it's obvious that God is trying to show off when he shows up for the first time to Israel. Like he is doing something unique here. He wants them to see, oh, this ain't no small God. This big God, massive God, powerful God. So powerful that a few verses later in chapter 20, basically they see this and they look at Moses and they say, no shot we're going up there. Like Moses, you can go up there and see him and talk to us, but we're not going up there. They stand at a distance. They're so afraid of God, they're not going. You see, to Israel, God was both beautiful and scary. He was frightening and fascinating, dangerous but also delightful. It's like skydiving or, or like rock climbing or bungee jumping. Anybody here ever been bungee jumping before? Anybody? Wow, brave people. It's thrilling. It's thrilling and it's exciting, but it's also fearful. And that's how they view God. This God is fun to be near, but I'm afraid to get close. He's safe, but he's dangerous. That's how they viewed the Lord. They saw God for who he is and the response was awe and trembling. Okay, now take a step back. So we just read Exodus 19 and reading this text and, and, and thinking about what we just saw, it begs the question all week, man, I've been, I've been reading this text all week and all day and it just begs the question, do we view God like that? Like, like do, do y'all view God like this? Like, how different... Is this God from the God that I see? And and how different is the way they approach God from the way that we approach God? Like, like a lot? Like, sure, there's, there's discontinuities between them and us. Like, on this side of the cross, Jesus came. We're New Testament believers. Like, there's difference here. But is there any ounce of awe and reverence in this room compared to this? Like, is there any... Like God, I mean, God's not showing up in fire and smoke in your dorm room, I don't think. If he does, let me know, that'd be fun. But, um, <laughs> but is there, guys, is there any ounce that the same, I Man, we just sing the song, same God. Is there any ounce that the same God here is, is the God you worship? That's the question, man. If you're anything like me, man, you come into a room like this, Thursday night, Sunday mornings, you open the Bible, and I'm just so quick just to waltz into the presence of God w- without even thinking about it. Like, yes, Jesus is our friend and God is our father, but he is the holy God of the universe. He is the creator. Okay, I mean, all the time, not, I come into the presence of God not realizing the magnitude of what we're doing here. Like you spend all day on Thursday, man, just you sleep, you sleep in, you're doing school, you do not think about the things of God, you don't pray, you're distracted, and then you show up late and you try to worship God without a heart prepared without standing in awe and wonder. I think as a generation, we've lost the art of wonder and awe, so distracted by the man-made stuff, the screens, the technologies, that we don't spiritually look up. you got to realize we don't just come here tonight to meet with friends. We don't just come here tonight to meet together. We come here tonight to meet with God. And that's different, man. That's different. It's not just any God, the Holy One the Creator God, not some small, diddly God that you can put in a box. Does your view of God fit in the world? Or another question is, can your world contain your view of God? Or is your God so big, so holy, that you're blown away in awe and reverence? That's what conference does for me. Like, bro, I'm sitting there, I mean, I'm sitting in this room too, 400 people. I'm sitting here thinking, 4,000 people in this room? all worshiping the same God. Man, I started thinking about, okay, 4,000 people who, I mean, if they're Christian, God has saved each one of them, meaning they all have a story, they all have a journey, they all fell into sin, they all have a past, and yet God has saved each and every one of them. And somehow this God is able to have a personal, real, individual relationship with all 4,000 people. Holy smokes, that's crazy. And to think that He would come close to us, And we're all singing songs to Him and kneeling down and praising God. You leave that and you go, God is big. Like, He's good, His grace is good, but that's a big God. That's a holy God. Every mountaintop moment in my life has left me feeling in awe of who God is. He is so much bigger than we can imagine. Everyone, literally all of us right now are currently underestimating how big God is. Because you can't overshoot it. He is big. And he is holy. And so that's what we have in Exodus 19: grace and holiness, unconditional love and awesome power. That's what we see in Exodus 19. But if you're anything like me, man, you read this, and all there's a lot of questions that come to mind. And the question I've been asking is: now wait a second. Like, does that mean we should just come in here and like quiet solemnness and not say a word and just kneel and fear and trembling? Like, is it all gloom and doom in the Christian life? Like, is there any room for joy in the Christian life? Like, are we supposed to just come to God in just total fear and and awe and not say anything? Like, hasn't Jesus changed anything? Like, what's the difference? Like, like, if God's not showing up in fire and smoke, are we doing something wrong? It's actually an interesting question to ask. Like, what is the difference between us today in Israel back then, like New Testament believers compared to Exodus 19. There is a difference. And I wanna take you to Hebrews chapter 12 to show it to you. Leave Exodus, we're not coming back to Exodus. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is at the end of your Bible. The author of Hebrews is gonna do something with this question. He's gonna answer the question that I just asked. Like, is there a difference between the way that we relate to God today and how they related to God in Exodus 19. Hebrews chapter 12, if you, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. Basically the author of Hebrews, he's gonna point out a massive shift in the reality between the way they viewed God then and the way we now get to view God today. Hebrews chapter 12, this is what it says in verse 18. He's writing to Christians and he says this, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear." So he writes, looking at Christians, and he says, "Look, look, we don't go to physical mountain. Like us today, we're not going to a mountain, like a, something that we can touch. Like there's not gloom, doom, ain't no fire and trumpet in this. And he's talking about what? He's talking about Sinai here. He's literally talking about Exodus 19. And he says, no, man, we don't go to that mountain that can be touched. And then he says something, some of the most epic sentences in the Bible, verse 22. This is what it says, it gets good. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, that's us, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is what we come to. And that's good news right here. Like, that's a hype statement right here. What he's saying is this, guys, that as believers, we don't approach God exactly the way they did in Mount Sinai. No, there's a shift. We don't go to Mount Sinai. We go to Mount Zion. And that's a difference. And notice the imagery here. Okay, use your holy imagination. Again, it's a wild scene. It says we go to the city of God. Okay, a heavenly city filled with innumerable angels. Okay, or a lot of angels, okay, all bowing down and worshiping Jesus. And it says in festal gathering, or in other words, a festive gathering, or in other words, a freaking party is going on. And they're all worshiping God. They're all celebrating the lamb who was slain. And it says Jesus is there, the mediator of a new covenant. That is what we do when we come to worship God. Like when you approach God, that's how we approach him. And it's incredible, man. We sing to him, even in this room. Like, what's going on in a deeper way? When when the band comes back up and they're singing, what's going on in a deeper, more real way is that we are entering into the presence of God and we're joining in on the song that never ends. Like, your future reality and your present reality come together. The veil is thin between heaven and earth. That's what's happening when we worship. You gotta use your imagination, a holy imagination to see what's actually happening here. But even though we go to the new city, we don't lose awe and reverence. Look at verse 28 of Hebrews 12. It says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see, we still come to God with reverence and awe for who He is. He is still a consuming fire. This is how we worship. We're thankful for His grace and we stand in awe of His holiness. And so, what's the difference? Oh, there's a big difference between Exodus 19 and 2023. 20, and the difference is Jesus. He is the difference. Like, it's Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. Look at what it says about him here in verse 24. It says, it's super profound. It says, Jesus is the new mediator. He's the mediator of a new covenant. What in the world is a mediator? It's someone who goes between, someone who stands in the gap, someone who brings two parties together. And when we talk about the grace of God and the holiness of God, that is exactly who Jesus is. He is the embodiment of grace. He is the exact embodiment of holiness. Like Jesus is full of grace and he is full of holiness. He is both willing and able to close the gap, full of grace to lay down his life and full of holiness to to meet the need. He is both willing and able to save you. That's who Jesus is. And now, man, we're under a new covenant. Like we're not under an old covenant of law. We're under the new covenant of grace. Like, like we don't go to Mount Sinai. No, 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 our future is Mount Zion and there's a big difference. You see, the law came down on Mount Sinai, but grace flows like rivers from Mount Zion. Sinai was an earthly mountain. Mount Zion is a heavenly one. Sinai was in the wilderness. Zion is in the city of God. Only Moses could ascend Sinai. All of us going up Mount Zion. Jesus was the mediator on Zion. Even though Moses, he was the mediator on on Sinai, but Jesus is the true and better Moses, the greater mediator, and we're going up with him. Law, grace, old covenant, new covenant, from one mountain to the next. And smack dab in the middle of those two mountains stood another mountain, Mount Calvary and thank God for that mountain, because that's where Jesus hung between two sinners. You see, Jesus ascended Mount Calvary so we might ascend Mount Zion, amen? Amen. That's what it's about. He paid for our sin. Every mountaintop moment with God centers on that mountaintop moment of Jesus. Every significant encounter with God centers on the cross. You wanna have a moment with God? Look at the cross. You wanna encounter the God of Exodus 19? Look at the cross, go to him. Jesus full of grace and full of holiness on full display. So I'll close with this. If you're not a Christian in the room, like, bro, like you do not know Jesus, okay, you got invited here by a friend, or maybe you're still trying to figure out the Jesus thing. Like, first of all, I'm glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back here. But the thing you gotta hear from me is this the greatest threat to your life, it's not your badness, it's God's goodness. Like the greatest threat to your life is not that you do bad things, it's that God is really good. Like His holiness, that's not good news to you, that's bad news. You can't enter into the presence of a holy God. You can't do it. You can't bring your body into the presence of a holy God on your own. Like, but the good news is this, while the greatest threat to your life might be the goodness of God, the greatest gift to your life, or the holiness of God, the greatest gift to your life is his grace. He stands ready to receive you. You don't got to stand at the bottom of the mountain. No, no, no. You can come up and be carried by the arms of Jesus. That's the good news. I hope you'll do it. And if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a Christian, you ought to be encouraged, but here's what I'd say to you your view of God is too small. It's too small. He is, he is so holy and so good. He is better than you think and bigger than you realize. And that's good news. And so pray and ask God, man, be with me. Whether you're coming off the worst two weeks of your life or the greatest weekend of your life, he is with you. He is there. God is with you. God is for you. He is both holy and full of grace. He is dangerous but safe. Let me pray.